You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 145. Today we get an update on the Artistic Finance 6K, the $6,000 of investments we made in May of 2021. We're joined by a bond investment CEO, a data analyst, and three lighting designers to review how our investments compare to the S&P 500. Today we also discuss fees and how that plays into investing. Without further ado... Let's get to the show. You are listening to Artistic Finance, where we help creatives learn about the business of show business. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm Ethan Steinle, broadcasting out of New York City. And today I welcome back my superstar armchair investor panel, the CEO of the bond investing app Liquidify, joining us from Denver, Maitre Gopalakrishnan. Hi, Ethan. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Lighting designer and project manager joining us from Los Angeles, Ebony Madre. Hi, Ethan. So happy to be back here with y'all. A leader in data and analytics at Worldwide Wickets Financial, joining from St. Louis, Missouri, Katie Berman. Hi, excited to be here as always. And founder of the Financial Independence Book Club, Amy Deluxe, joining us from Austin, Texas this time. Thanks for having me. All right. Amazing. We're recording this on May 7th, 2023. And before we start, a few announcements because this year, the review falls around a few birthdays or a couple birthdays. <laughs> First, Katie Berman just had a birthday. Happy birthday, Katie. Thank you. <laughs> and you just had a birthday as well yesterday. Happy birthday, Ethan. Thank you. Thank you. And one more birthday, which is that is artistic finance is turning three today. So congratulations. <laughs> um, and I just want to say, at this point, we have 36,000 downloads, and we've broadcast in at least 88 countries. I didn't quite count them all today. Um, but outside of the U.S., our biggest countries for listeners are the U.K., Canada, India, and France. So thank you to everybody who's listened, and thank you to everybody who has supported us. And now there are a few super, super listeners out there, and you know who you are. Um, but these are all people that have gone beyond listening and have done other things like become patrons given us shout-outs on social media, told their colleagues about the show, bought our overpriced swag, uh, assigned episodes as homework for their classes, which is my favorite thing that anybody has ever done. <laughs> and then, of course, the people that have given me feedback and suggestions. So thank you to everyone who is a super listener. Uh, Katie, all right, we're going to have a financial discussion today, so can you give us a disclaimer? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so... None of us are financial professionals. None of what we're talking about today should be taken as advice or personal recommendations. If you are looking to make decisions about your financial well-being or whatever that might be, you need to seek a professional before doing so. Amazing. All right. And I'm not going to explain the backstory of why we're all here today, but if you want to know more about what we're doing go back and listen to previous episodes that are titled The Artistic Finance 6K. All right, so does anybody know this first question I have, which is, what is the state of the market today? I genuinely don't know. <laughs> you have dad brain right now, so that's like, I think, 
you can get away with it. They're like, oh yeah, I don't know anything in the world. There's like a baby at home. I'll just say what I do know, and that is that my uh, the artistic finance investments we have, I think, went down from last quarter. It was up in January, down in February, down until late March, up again a little bit, and then now it kind of came back down for for the last week. So, yeah, you're sitting on a a sad past week, but hopefully it'll get better again soon. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I have to pull up the artistic finance the numbers. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to go over uh, the investments that I picked for artistic finance. So we invested, for all intents and purposes, $5,000, and we now have 4400 So we are down overall 12%. Uh. <laughs> so let's break that down. So we bought the S&P 500, which is our standard measuring stick. That is up 4.3%. We put a thousand in. We now have a thousand and forty-three dollars. All right, that's great. That is the only one of our investments that is up, <laughs> which is like the age-old wisdom of go with the S and P five hundred. All right, so the four stocks we picked, we have one skills, which is down ninety-six percent. We have an energy company VST, which is up forty-six percent. We have a lithium-ion mining company, which is up forty-one percent, and we have Blue Moon Beverage which is TAP, and that is up 20%. But overall, the stocks I picked are down 8%. Okay, so then we go into real estate, which I always expect to be just like a steady dividend-getting thing. We have four REITs. UBA is up 31%. SRG is down 56%. STAG, S-T-A-G, is down 4%. And then VICI is up 18%. So overall, I am down on the REITs 0.1%. So basically even for REITs. But I expect those to never go negative. So I'm sort of annoyed at that. <laughs> um, Bitcoin is down 50%, but that's the best it's ever been on any of these quarterly reviews. <laughs> so my best performer was Bitcoin, which went up 10%. So it went down from 60 from a 60% loss to now just a 50% loss. Uh, now VinoVest. So VinoVest is the case of wine that we bought. And it has been uh, steady and good the last few times. But now our $1,000 that we put in is $958. So we're actually down 4% on the wine. And just a reminder that the wine has the highest fee. We pay a 2.5% fee on the wine that we're, we're holding. So not only are we down 8% behind the S&P 500, but we're also paying like, I don't know what that is, 20 times the fees that we are, that we're paying on the S&P 500 um, ETF that we have. Okay. And then the art that we bought, I don't count, but we paid, let's say $1,000 for that. And for all intents and purposes, the return on that has been zero and I expect it to be zero, but I don't really count that. Um, so yeah, that's how I got to be down by 12%, <laughs> which let me just point out, this hurts me to point out <laughs> if I'm down by 12% and the market S and P 500 is up 4%, I'm really trailing the market by 16%. So it's even worse than the 12% that it sounds like. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's how I'm doing. And I don't plan to rebalance everything. Um, I'm going with that investor, Ian Dunlop, who says just buy it and hold it for 10 years. So I'm hoping, like we're in year three right now, not so good. 
but I'm hoping at the end of 10 years, I'll be happy. Because that's what he says. Buy it, hold it for 10 years, and I'll be happy. <laughs> um, all right, so now to the group. Let's move on from my picks. Can you guys update us on, on, on your investments? I can jump in and go first, uh, if that's all right. Um, so I think for the purposes of this experiment, I use the JP Morgan bond and the I bond. Um, I know it, the JP Morgan bond is down a little bit because bonds have actually been doing well. So then when I bought the bond last year, um, it was maybe a little early to buy it. Um, so it's down like, I think $20 from the um, 1100 or so maybe dollars that I paid for it. Um, but I'm holding it for the coupon payments and then getting the money back at the end. So I'm not super concerned about that. Um, the I-bonds though, um, the rate got reevaluated for this coming six months to, I want to say like four and a half percent or maybe even less than that. Um, so in its heyday, it was like, what, 9.6 something percent. It was very exciting. Um, but now the coupons are, are down to actually 4.3%. Um, so not yielding quite as well uh, as it did in 2022. That's okay. Wait, can I interject here? Yeah. So Amy Deluxe has a book club that I attend. And in one of the <laughs> one of the books was talking about high interest yield savings accounts. Anyway, so I'm just going to say that I switched um, our savings into a high interest yield account. And it is now getting a 4.65% return, which to me is equal to your bond or an I bond, right? So yeah. Question for you, Maitre. <laughs> Am I better off in bonds or in a high interest savings account? Uh, it depends on the type of bond. So the thing with the I bonds is that inflation was really high when that 9.6% rate was there. But now inflation's actually come down quite a lot. And so the I bonds rate gets affected by the rate of inflation. And so now it's not so good anymore because inflation isn't so high. But um, treasury bonds right now, like shorter term ones, especially are actually yielding like, I think 5.2% or higher. Um, and those are super safe. Like they're the safest kind of bond you can get. So it's not a bad option. Um, there's also tax advantages with treasury bonds. If you live in a high income tax state, like New York, I'm guessing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so there are some advantages to certain types of bonds, but I'd take a high interest savings account over an I bond right now for At the sure. Moment. But I but I yeah. will say that the bank or whoever determines rates, et cetera, could stop that at any moment. Like, cause I think yeah. I started, I only started it a month ago and it was at 4.4 and now it's at 4.65, but that's just on the whim of them. Yeah. Yeah. They have to be competitive with the rest of the market. So they will, you know, adjust based on, what other banks are doing as well, but it's definitely the whims of the bank. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So overall, are you happy with how your bonds have been doing? I'm pretty happy. And I got some treasury bonds and those are doing great. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> all right. Nice, nice, nice. Um, all right. Any, any, who else wants to go on their investment? I should go before my jet lag kicks in and I can't even function anymore. <laughs> Um, so I'm the one with the weird one with the masterworks where it's like, you can't actually track it. So 
last time we had a bunch of questions and I did do some research to understand how that works a little bit better. And one of the questions that we had was um, how often are they appraised and kind of how does it work? Uh, so I found out that uh, they are appraised once a year, but they can also be appraised more times if something similar is uh, being sold on the public market. But generally speaking, they're going to be sold once a year. So the last time we chatted, um, I had my two, my Bridget Riley and my Kusama, and um, neither one of them had been appraised since I bought them. Kusama was actually just appraised. So I have a little bit more information about that. But the other thing that is really interesting that I found out um, as far as how Masterworks calculates the costs once they're purchased. Um, they calculate it on, on an all art index where the contemporary art prices have, uh, and they, they have gone by a Deloitte report and just historically speaking, that contemporary art prices have outpaced the S&P 500 by 131% in the period of 1995 to 2021. Uh, so historically, that's kind of, a really big <laughs> differentiation there. And uh, based on the Deloitte report, the total value of privately held art um, is valued at 1.7 trillion. So just to kind of give us some scale. Um, and then I did, I found a Forbes article that goes through the details as well as when and how they sell and masterworks can take three to 10 years uh, before they'll sell work from the portfolio. Uh, so it is a, a buy and hold strategy. And according to Masterworks as well, the contemporary art market delivered an average annual return of 14.1% over the past 26 years. And that statistic is as of November 22nd from 2022. So a great return, 14.1 is pretty high. Um, so one of the things that was, you know, I was kind of stagnant in being able to know if my pieces were gaining or losing value since it takes several years before they're going to sell a work. And that's made it a little bit tricky to evaluate. So Masterworks just recently actually added uh, the sharp ratio metric, which has been super helpful. I didn't really know what that was before. Um, but basically what it is, is it measures the performance on a risk adjusted basis that an investor needs to take in order to get that performance. So if the ratio is greater than one, then the returns have been higher than the amount of risk taken. So generally speaking, the higher the ratio, the better the risk adjusted returns. Um, and if they're they're lower, then uh, it's not as good. So many investments like the S&P 500 have sharp ratios that are less than one, which means the returns have not been as high as the risk taken. The current S&P 500 portfolio sharp ratio is actually negative 0.10. And so a negative sharp ratio means that the risk-free rate is higher than the portfolio's return. Again, a sharp ratio greater than one is considered acceptable to good by investors. So the current portfolio that I have, uh, which is uh, the Kusama and the Riley, uh, I have a combined sharp ratio of 1.24. Um, so that is very good. And it's actually on the upper, uh, upper decile among all Masterworks investors. So I have a good portfolio going so far. And um, the Kusama finally stabilized after two years. I've had that one for two years. 
Bridget Riley, I've only had for, I think, about six months. Um, so that one's still in its early days. It hasn't been appraised yet. Uh, but the Kusama was recently appraised with a 32.5% increase in value. Um, so that is very good. And that is making my portfolio generally stronger. Um, so that's kind of the best stats I can get now. Uh, but at least I have something to go off of. Obviously, I'm going to buy and hold these until they sell. Um, so I have, you know, 25 shares of each, uh, which I originally bought for $500 each for a combined of $1,000 in uh, in Masterworks portfolio. Um, now, if we want to get embarrassingly interesting, um, <laughs> as I said, I'm typically a set it and forget it. So, you know, my usually it's my index funds and everything just kind of sit there forever, buy and hold um, to the point where I completely forgot about one investment that actually should be in this group, I think. Um, I don't want... Ethan to be the only one embarrassed about his crypto. So uh, I have not been on board with crypto. I have not felt comfortable investing in it because there's a lot of speculation. It's very complicated to me. And I and I see that there's some kind of something going on. There's some kind of value. Like it's a lot of people are doing it. I think El Salvador even um, has made Bitcoin an official currency. Um, so there's something happening, but to me, it's a little bit um, difficult to believe in and like put my money into. So what I did, I think this was last February-ish, um, Coinbase went public. And when that happened, I thought that might be a good way to like dip my toe in without actually being in crypto because Coinbase is basically a brokerage for crypto and them going public means it's in the regular stock market, which is the one that I understand and feel comfortable with. So I, the day that Coinbase went public, I bought three shares and like I got all, I totally fell for the hype, right? Because they were $333 each. So I bought $999 worth of Coinbase. And then over the next month, it completely like dipped. And now, you know, it's been, I think that was last year. Um, yeah. So it's been just over a year and it has gone down where they are now valued at $58.24 each from the $333 that I bought, uh, which is Instead of my portfolio being the $999 I bought, it is $191.90 with a drop over all time of $807.10, which is an 80.79% loss. Yes. Thank you, Amy. Yes. <laughs> I that just like is completely awesome. ignore this thing. I'm just like, okay. And you know what? Also, it's in a Robinhood account and I'm totally not on board with Robinhood anymore either for a number of reasons. And I really, you can actually buy Coinbase and Vanguard. And if I could, I would even just move this into my Vanguard account, but it's so crappy. It's not even worth selling and rebuying. So I'm just going to leave it in there and let okay. it suck. Until but it isn't, isn't, that how, isn't that how tax loss harvesting works? I mean, technically not, but I suspect nobody would count it and therefore you could get away with it. Maybe, but you like sell it there so. and buy it in Vanguard. I mean, this is not financial advice. I don't know. 
That is awesome. Okay, so my only stock that is lower than yours is Skills, which is at a 96% loss. But, mm-hmm. oh, Amy, I'm so glad you shared that. Thank you. I know, I know you needed something to cheer you up today, so there you go. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, and then the sharp ratio for your artworks, who determines the sharp ratio on those? Um, so, I mean, the sharp ratio, there's actually a formula. Um, I think I closed that window, but it's, it's, you know, risk, you know, what it's cost times the risk divided by a thing. And, um, but somebody else is determining that that for you. Like somebody else has determined it. Yeah, they did it and they just put it into my portfolio and there's, you know, where all my statistics are and everything, but the ratio itself is just, you know, is known. And then they do that and then they put it into um, my my portfolio stats. And now when you go to the new offerings at Masterworks, they are presented with the sharp ratio and a lot of other data that wasn't there before. In the beginning, when I bought my pieces, it was like, here's a Kosama. Here's information about the artist. It did kind of show like what it uh, valued over time already but now with the sharp ratio there's other things to compare it to you can evaluate your risk um and you can actually change your entire portfolio by buying something that has a higher sharp ratio if you have a lower combined sharp ratio so you can increase your overall portfolio um, by bringing in pieces with higher sharp ratios so it, it does help to analyze you know your next purchases Got it. And it was also interesting that the S&P is a, a negative sharp yeah. ratio right now. Well, and, you know, when I watched their kind of like um, video about this is how to understand what a sharp ratio is, they use, as everyone uses the S&P 500 as an example, and they also said like similar types of um, investments and, and assets. And the average then was like 0.55. And, you know, I just looked it up today right before the meeting just to see what it was currently and was really surprised that it's, to see it was negative because I think that's kind of uncommon. So that might be another indicator that the market's like kind of down this week. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love how we're all here and we don't know how the market is. <laughs> <laughs> we think it's bad. <laughs> um, cool. All right, Amy, thanks for that. Ebony or Katie, one of you want to update us on your investments? I'll go next, I guess. So I'll say overall for, I guess, the full year now, because we're at like a winner one year mark. I'm at around a 13% return across all three of the things that I did. So I had, which is down from, I think the first quarter was my highest at like 20%. And then it has only like gone down, but it's still a positive return, obviously, and still higher than the market. So I guess I'm doing good. Well, so Um, far, I mean, Amy could be at 30%, but it's sort of, since she's buying and holding, we don't really know. So technically 13% is the highest of any of us at this point. So congratulations. So I'll say my worst one continues to be PayPal. It has only continued to decline, I think, since I think the first quarter it was positive, but since then has only lost money. Note to self, note to self, Katie keeps updating us that PayPal keeps going lower. So Ethan, at some point, is going to need to buy some PayPal. Good, good. (laughs) I need to buy it. I mean, it's like, I don't know. Like part of me is like, oh, I should just buy some more now because it's so low. But also it has not done well for me. 
I've like bought it a couple of times over the last couple of years and sold it for tax loss harvesting and then bought it again thinking like, oh, it's low again. I'm, at some point it's going to start going back up and it has not yet. Um, but we'll see. And then my other two were mutual funds and both of those have obviously done really well um, and kind of made up for the loss that I had with PayPal. So um, yeah, got some dividends each quarter, I think from both mutual funds. So that's good. And reinvested those. So I calculated that as part of my return, but um, those have continued to do well. So fantastic. All right. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. All right, Ebony, we're all waiting to hear how Tesla's done. <laughs> um, so, okay. So since then, I also did an investment in Kroger, uh, like the grocery store. Um, and they're both doing very well. I expected Kroger to do well, like people need grocery, people are shopping. Um, but Tesla's also doing well. It wasn't I would say in the last like week or so is when it started to bounce back um, like last month. Um, and then the end of the previous month, it was like looking really rough for Mr. Elon. Um, but since then it's, it really has bounced back. Um, I'm at a uh, 8% up um, and Kro- my Kroger um, investment uh, which I just literally did like maybe about a month ago. That's at 11%. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. And just so out I, of curiosity, does Kroger have a dividend? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they have. Okay. Yeah. I didn't really look too far into it. I was just like, uh, I have a little money in my this uh, account and I want to put it somewhere. And I felt like Kroger was um, like a safer option out of everything that i was looking at at the time mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, yeah. i almost did target but i ended up going with kroger nice okay well tesla which you've had for the whole year that's at eight percent great and then kroger 11 percent. awesome yeah. wow everyone great work everyone <laughs> um okay so uh maybe i should have asked this question no i'll just ask this of you ebony um are you planning on selling out or holding those well, does anybody have any plans to do anything other than hold? Okay. The yeah. whole group is holding, holding. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. All right. I want to take one minute and talk about the Artistic Finance Patreon page. And really, all I really want to say is that Heather Gilbert, who is our patron, was nominated this week for a Tony Award. <laughs> so. She did the lighting for Parade, so she was nominated for Best Lighting Design of a Musical. So good luck. No, break a leg, Heather, getting that Tony win. But that's amazing. (laughs) Um, And then I also just want to point out that we actually have a lot of previous guests who were also nominated for a Tony, which, by the way, if you're listening, you have not become a patron, but I will forgive you. But all these previous guests have been nominated for Tonys. Jen Schriever for Death of a Salesman. Lap Chichu for Camelot, Ken Billington for New York, New York, and Greg Barnes for Some Like It Hot. Break a leg, everybody, and especially Heather, who is my favorite nomination of the batch. (laughs) Um, And if you are interested in becoming a patron, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now we can get back to the investments. I actually just pulled up 
the market summary for the S&P 500. So I think it's very interesting because the market always goes up and down. And so when you look at the market summary, it's not as bad as everything has seemed the past few months even, I think, right? Um, So for the past day, it is up 1.85%. The past five days, it is down 0.73%. And then it's up. It's just the month is up 0.66%. Six months, it is up 8.05%. Year to date, it is up 8.16%. Past year is up 3.63%. And the five year, it's up 51.64%. Um, so overall looking really good, I think. Yeah, it is. And I think last quarter it was down a little bit because my investments were all beating it. Yeah. And probably those one day, five day, one month, you know, markers at that moment were down. Um, but that's why the charts always look like a zigzag because it's just, it's always up and down. Uh, but if you look at it in the short term, it looks like it's bad. But then if you look at the long term, it's good. Yeah, and that five year gives me hope because we've had it for two full years now and we're at 4.3%. So I'm looking forward to that 50% over five years. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to catch up. Okay, so um, I also want to talk just a little bit today before we leave. I want to talk about fees uh, because this came up during book club and uh, I've just been seeing a lot on Instagram from financial people who are being like, stop paying fees for your investments. <laughs> So I just want to talk, I just want to figure out what we're all paying for fees. Before, before that, I looked up like how important fees are. Um, and I went, I got to an article by, on, by Vanguard, um, which is of course our low cost ETF solution for the world. Um, and they have a little chart and an article about it that I'll link in the show notes, but the chart says costs can eat away at your investments. And they say, if you pay no costs for your investments and you put in a hundred thousand dollars, by the time you reach retirement, you could earn $330,000, like using an S&P return. Um, okay, so 330000 Then it says, if you pay 2% in fees for that same $100,000 investments, you're going to earn that same amount, but you're only going to keep 160000 of it because 170000 would be pulled off for fees. Um, so that's just a really uh, powerful chart to look at. And then another thing they pointed out, which was funds with lower costs have outperformed more expensive ones. And this isn't one I had really thought about or knew about. But so it says the average yearly return on U.S. stocks is 7.8% for funds that don't have expense ratios or have low fees, low expense ratios. And it's only 6.9% for funds that have higher fees. So I don't know exactly why that is, but that is data driven that you can get 1% more return uh, if you have a lower cost index fund. Um, and then they did it for bonds, Mitre, and the yearly return average on bonds uh, with no fees is 4.4%. And if you have a bond index that has higher fees, it's only going to be a 4% return. Okay. So, and then I asked ChatGPT about fees. And this is what Mr. Chat GPT told me, the five reasons the, to watch out for fees. And that is fees can eat into your returns. So when you invest, you're aiming to grow your money over time, but fees can eat into your returns, reducing the amount of money you earn. Number two, fees can vary widely. 
So different investment products such as mutual funds, ETFs, and individual stocks come with different fee structures. And I think that's a good point because in this investment strategy for all of us, we all have very different investments. So our fees are going to vary widely, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, Number three, fees can compound over time. Even small fees can add up, especially when compounded over many years. For example, a 1% annual fee on a $100,000 investment can result in a loss of $28,000 over 20 years. So I don't know exactly where Mr. ChatGPT pulled that stat from, but it sort of matches what the Vanguard data was saying. Um, Number four, lower fees can lead to higher returns. And this is that other chart from Vanguard showing that if you have a lower fee fund, it's going to perform better uh, than the higher fee fund. And then number five, fees can impact your financial goals. If you're investing for a specific financial goal, such as retirement, high fees can have a significant impact on whether you reach that goal. By choosing low-cost investment options, you may be able to stay on track and achieve your financial objectives. So I went to look at the fees that all the artistic finance investments had. And so our S&P, we have an iShares uh, fund, which at the time that I bought had the lowest expense ratio. Oh, by the way, expense ratios can change. So if you buy it um, at a certain time, it may have a lower one or a higher one. So anyway, at the current time, um, ours is 0.03% expense expense ratio, which is pretty good. Um, I would say that's comparable to a Vanguard, though Amy might disagree, but we'll see. TBD. (laughs) Um, And then the other thing is that all the other investments we purchased were actual stocks. And even the REITs, I thought those are sort of index funds, but they're actually just companies that own a huge portfolio. So that being said, there are no fees for those, even though it's up to like the company. Obviously, the company has costs and we don't really know how they're managing their money. Um, But anyway, for all intents and purposes, none of the other things we own have fees. Um, but the wine, as I pointed out earlier, that's a 2.5% fee. So that is a very high fee, but in my brain, it's sort of worth it because I wanted to buy wine and I wanted to see how that investment goes. So I went into that knowing that that was a high fee, but that is very significant. That's even higher than the Vanguard article that said 2% that they were using that as an example of high fees. And here 2.5 is even higher than that. Um, and then I just want to point out that Bitcoin when you buy Bitcoin, um, I want to say when we bought the $1,000 of it, there was like a $21 fee. And that was just, I don't quite understand how it works, but whoever's actually doing that data crunching gets paid a fee. Now that varies. So there's no way to really know what that will be when I sell it. But I suspect that the market rate is going to keep those fees pretty low. Um, but anyway, but I'm just pointing it out because there would be a transaction fee when we sell the Bitcoin. Um, all right. So can you let us know what fees you're paying? For the corporate bond, I know I paid a fee. I honestly can't remember what it was or find the receipt that tells me what it was, but I don't think it was significant. It was like a few dollars, like under $10 on the $1,000 purchase. Um, I think that's relatively standard for corporate bonds to have a fee on it. Um, treasury bonds don't usually incur fees. I'd be suspicious if you had to pay a fee on a treasury bond. Um, and then of other investments that I have, like I pay maybe a maximum of 0.10 or 0.15% on um, some index funds or like ETFs. Um, and those are like more ultra specific ones. 
but for the total market types of uh, ETFs or funds, um, I think the 0.03% range, like what you mentioned, Ethan, is pretty reasonable. Um, so one other thing I'll just make note of is that um, there are different ways that different brokerages approach fees. Um, there's been a lot of popularity around the zero commission model. Um, and I think Robinhood kind of champions some of that. But um, that may or may not, depending on the type of investment you're making um, and how much you're investing, it may or may not be the best for you because there's also like what the actual price you get it at in the market is. Um, and so you might be paying no commissions, but then you might get a not great price of execution. So they won't get you the best deal possible. And that might outweigh the additional fee you would have to pay to get the best price um, in the long term. So that's just something to note about these that I thought was really interesting when I was um, selecting brokerages. So, Wait, okay. I just have to ask a question. What is your brokerage? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do my personal brokerage with Schwab, um, but for my investment management clients, um, I use interactive brokers um, and they do have that flexibility to choose interactive brokers between a zero commission model and a a model where you pay commissions, but you get best execution price. Um, So I guess two, but for different purposes. Um, But I like Schwab and interactive brokers for for different reasons. Um, I do not know what Robin Hood's is. I was just trying to find it. I'll have to come back to that one. Um, But for, oh, I switched I switched over. So my Vanguard, which we're not even really talking about on this one, but that's 0.08%. That's that's my my real pony there. Um, oh, wait, wait. Your and S&P in, 500 is 0.08%? Uh, it's, well, it's VTSAX. Um, so it's an index like the S&P 500, but it's not S&P 500 directly. Yeah, so I've got it 0.08%. Industry average is 0.47%. And Masterworks... Um, I'm going to have to find that one out too, because that I think happens at the cell and I don't have that information right in front of me. So, Okay. But Masterworks, you, they're taking their percentage probably whenever you sell or, and or buy, but they're not like charging you an annual fee or anything. No, I don't think so. No. I, I don't think so either. <laughs> cool. I've got homework again. I'll, I'll <laughs> let you know next time. <laughs> um, okay. And then you're the, that, um, that nice Coinbase you told us about, that's an individual stock, so there's no fee there. Well, that one, uh, that one's in Robinhood, and yeah, it's an individual stock. Cool. All right, Katie. Yeah, so I'll say I'm in a little bit of a unique situation because of the fact that I'm employed at my brokerage firm, so I get certain um, things differently than somebody who's just a client there would. But I will say, so with PayPal being an individual stock, I do still pay a commission on that. But um, I think it was, I think it's $15, which is, I know, really high for like considering the no commission online game right now. Um, But that's just uh, when you buy and sell. So obviously as an individual stock, no like ongoing fee with that. Um, on my mutual funds, one of them, the expense ratio is 0.8% and the other is 0.59, which both of them less than 1%. I know still not as low as index funds and things like that. Although 
I would argue maybe like similar to my trace point, like even though you don't know the return you could get, I think, I think of it as kind of like leveraged <laughs> investing. Like I'm getting a better return at least right now than I would have gotten on those index funds, even if you net out the expense fee. So in my case, um, it feels like it's worth it. And I don't pay as an employee, I don't pay any upfront commissions on mutual funds. So um, I just pay like NAV. So um, in my case, a lot of times, like it can be beneficial to do mutual funds, even though like I use um, personal capital, which is now Empower for like my personal finances. And it yells at me all the time. Like, <laughs> look at the fees you're paying. And I'm like, I can't do anything about that because I'm not allowed to invest anywhere else because of regulators and things like that. Um, so it's, you know, good or bad, but I, was, I do feel like right now, at least I'm getting a better return because of that. So I know the fees are a little bit higher, but um, I think it's worth it in my case. Yeah. Well, I just want to point out, and I was hiding this from Amy on the last book club episode, but I'll come clean now, <laughs> which is that Nicole and I have financial advisor and they're getting 1% roughly. Like I, I went back and I just added it up and I was like, oh, it's all, it's about 1%. So on our actual retirement funds or broke, whatever that is, I am paying a 1% fee roughly, but I was prepared to defend myself. <laughs> so I need to talk to our advisor, but I did notice that there was, I think some tax loss harvesting that happened because on our taxes, I was looking over our taxes and from the brokerage account, which we don't sell anything out of, like we just buy and hold as far as I know. Um, they say they do some things, so I, but I don't check. Um, but there was the 1% we paid, there was five times that amount in a loss. And so I'm just saying that we never would have done the tax loss harvesting and they did it. So I don't know if that justifies the 1% fee, but in theory, they got us a ton of money off on our taxes for that fee. So I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, and I will say to that point, even though, again, my work situation kind of dictates that our financial advisor that we have did the same thing for us. Like, I had not been Texas harvesting prior to having an advisor, and they've pointed out those opportunities for us in several cases, which has saved us money. So um, I think that's, yeah, that's also kind of made up for it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, all right, Ebony. All right. So um, I would say I, um, so I'm using, honestly, I use Stash and Robinhood. Um, I've been wanting to switch over to like a adult uh, 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 system with swabs. I've actually been looking into them, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm, I'm on Stash and Robinhood. So um, I currently have no fees associated. Okay. And I should also say that because I, I spread out the artistic finance investments everywhere, 20% uh, of them are in Robinhood. Mm -hmm. So I do Robinhood and Webull and M1 Finance, which I think are all commission-free things. So mm -hmm. take it or leave it. All right. So fantastic. Does anybody have thoughts or want to mention or talk about fees at all before I move on? Okay, good. Amy didn't want to say anything. I, I, just, I wanted to mention, though, I think what Maitre said, though, like, may, really has, I had been thinking about that and the fact that, like, you're not 
you know, in using like a stash or Robin Hood, you're not necessarily always getting like the best um, price. Like they're not necessarily um, fighting for you in that in that essence. So that's really why I had been wanting to start like switching over to like a Swab or Schwab or like a Vanguard or something um, similar because I I felt like when I was looking at other things like why don't I feel like I'm getting the best price? I, I will say my workaround for that on Robinhood, because I noticed that early on when I used yeah. Robinhood, I was like, hey, the market rate says this. And yet somehow when I click right. it, it's somehow it's a little like I'm not getting the best deal here. Mm -hmm. um, so what I do is I only do limit orders. And even if that limit order is saying the price that it is currently. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's my workaround to be like, okay, I'll at least be guaranteed to get it at the price that I'm seeing now, just because I don't trust Robinhood at all. And I trust very few people and things. <laughs> right, right. You trust your financial advisor. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh. I'm just messing around. I am not a financial advisor, so I would never tell you what to do. <laughs> you know, I'll just say we can't we have to trust some people because we can't just we can't do everything in the in our lives. <laughs> It sounds Amazing. like they're optimizing for you. Yeah, we'll go with that. I, I've been meaning for a couple of years to have a chat with them about what things, what's going on. Um, all right. So what have we learned from this investment exper experiment? I ask this every time. So for me, this time around, I have learned that I should just stick with the S&P 500 because it would be less stress. It seems to be, no, it doesn't seem to be doing better than everything. It is doing better than every single thing that I have chosen. If I were to do this all again, I would just get the S&P 500 and ride it out, baby. I was going to say the same thing as you, Ethan, actually. Um, I think there have been some experiments where people just buy the S&P 500 versus making some complicated portfolio and just hold it for dozens of years and see what happens. And the S&P 500 usually uh, does win out. So um, I think if you're not investing for like a specific goal with a specific timeline or something like this, and you're just riding the waves of the market, so to speak, uh, the S&P 500 uh, is probably the way to go. So I second you on that. That was a good learning. And to see it just how it's performed over the past two years was interesting because like over a quarter, you know, you don't really see much, but over two years, you really start to see that pattern. Okay. This is the, the long-term kind of buy and hold sort of thing. So yeah. And, and I think next time I want to add in a global stock market ETF because I'm thinking like there are listeners that are outside of the USA and I don't know if those listeners can get the S&P 500. Um, they probably can get something similar, but I sort of want to loop in an overall global index because I imagine it would perform similarly to the S&P, um, but that, but something that everybody in the world could have access to. I think that's a great idea. Um, I learned a lot actually, thanks to this group, you know, asking me about it last time. So I learned a lot about Masterworks and how, how it works and and I actually feel even more confident now in the investment uh, with Masterworks. And just as I learn more about the high returns of the art market and their methodology, I think is really great. So I'm still index funds for life, but as far as like a side hustle goes, so to speak, um, feeling really good about, about the Masterworks investment. Yeah, so for me, I think this has more like validated, I guess, funds in general for me, like both mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, like 
anything that's more of like a blended investment and how well those can really do. I feel like I've historically always been more interested in stocks because it feels more like personal, I guess. And like, like you're close, like you know more about exactly where that money's going and what that company is as an individual company. But in the funds, it's a little more, like I know you can always look up the holdings and all of that stuff, but it feels a little bit more black box to me. And so less exciting in that way. Um, and yeah, like I said, less personal, but generally, um, you know, understanding that it's, it's a, it's a diversification play. And obviously there's a lot of benefits, um, that go along with that and it can, yeah, obviously they're, they perform well over time. So yeah, and I'm glad to have you here with the mutual funds because like over the course of our last 145 episodes, we did have a couple people who defended mutual funds and explained like, well, some of them can actually have lower costs. And then we had the most recent book club with Amy and in there, it was very like, no mutual funds, no, no, no. And it explained like tax reasons why you shouldn't have them. And so then I was sort of like returning to that home base of like, oh yeah, ETFs are what we should do. Um, but as Katie, you're pointing out, and also us with our financial advisors that charge fees, there's like a time and a place for everything. So if you're listening to this and you have a financial advisor and you're paying a fee, you know, to be fair to that advisor, they are doing a, a job and they are helping you. So it's like, it's not like you should be embarrassed. Like, yes, do look at it and consider like, oh, could I save on fees? And would that be a good idea? Like, you know, looking back at the last five years that you, of what your advisor has done, could you just say, oh, this is what they're doing. I could switch to no advisor and still continue that path. And if so, like maybe go with it. But also like you don't need to feel like ashamed or like your life is going to end because you're paying fees or because you own a bunch of mutual funds, especially everybody in their, you know, 401ks or the, the investments that we have access to that we don't control, like the IATSE funds or the USA 29 pension. It's like we don't control that. We don't control the fees, but we can see them and we know they're there. Um, but just because of that doesn't mean like you're bad at finances. No, and I think it's it's important to get into the market as opposed to not doing anything at all. And if your entry is that you need someone to help you, I would say let somebody help you, but just make sure you're also learning so that over time you can optimize or you can pivot and you can adjust as needed so that you are paying the least amount of fees as possible. But if the if the choice is I'm going to either get a financial advisor and pay a fee or I'm just not going to invest because I don't understand it, get an advisor and pay a fee and then learn while your money is actually growing. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say was, you know, in a lot of cases, people pay a financial advisor to pay attention to the market so they don't have to because they either are not interested in learning more about investing or just don't know where to start and all of that stuff. So there can be benefits yeah, to that knowledge and, and that um, arrangement. And to your point, you should want to take an interest in learning because you want to know where your money's going. And any good financial advisor is going to be transparent about their fee structure and how they're getting paid. And so you should ask questions and you should question that if you're in a situation where you feel like that's not paying for itself, that relationship is not paying for itself. Um and again, any good advisor is going to answer your questions and make sure that they're making the changes necessary to make you feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, if you're somebody who is super interested in the market and feels like you're knowledgeable enough to make those decisions for yourself, 
paying for a financial advisor may not be advantageous to you because you aren't necessarily getting added value there. So it's all about what you're getting from the relationship and whether or not the value is worth the cost. Yeah. And I want to just throw this out to the group, which is we have a patron named Savannah Bell and they contacted me a while back and they said, Hey, nobody's talked about robo advisors. And so I wanted to do a whole episode on it and I was having trouble finding a guest. So anybody listening, if you know anybody that could talk about robo advisors, but I would also be interested in adding a robo advisor situation to this investment experiment. So if maybe if there's somebody listening that wants to take a thousand dollars and find a robo advisor and like stick it with the robo advisor and see how that progresses, reach out to me because that would be cool to have you join in here. I think really for me, it's, it still is just like holding on and being patient um, with everything, just because I do uh, in the past, Ebony would have, uh, whenever Tesla uh, dropped, I would have started like partialing it out. Like I would have been like, okay, I'm just gonna sell like a part of this just to try to feel like I could get some money back or make something off of it. So uh, just reminding myself to be patient in, in it and that I still need to get uh, and some investment started in an S&P 500 because I need to do that. That good old S&P 500. <laughs> I'm actually, Ebony, I'm really glad you said that because I think I may be the opposite of you. Like, I just want to set and forget forever. But it's been good to see you because I consider you like Wild West, like, boo, 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 here we go. <laughs> and, and, and so to see you have that like takeaway, I'm like, okay, wow, we're all like, I can actually see changes from, you know, us as we all progress. I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I would do things differently. <laughs> Cool. All right. So I also want to mention, because I know Maitre has some wine and we have our wine investment. So VinoVest, which is where that wine is invested, they recently changed how they do business. So previously, they were a buy and hold strategy and they would recommend to you when to sell. So you would buy a, a case of wine. You would hold it for however long you want to hold it. Anyway, I'm just pointing this out. Because they changed their their strategy and to what now they automatically default you. And if you don't opt out, they default you into this thing where your case of wine, they're going to actively manage it. And so they may randomly choose to sell it because it's a good time. Um, and then they would take whatever that money that, that you still have and they would reinvest in something else to to hold. So that being said, we had bought a case of wine and they opted us into this automatic um, like they could just sell it whenever they want, which is not what I signed up for, um, even though it may be better for them. And clearly they think that's better for everyone. Um, and I'm only putting this out because a listener had had said, hey, by the way, they switched me. And then I randomly saw that they sold a case of mine for a $700 loss. And maybe that's a tax loss harvesting situation going on there. I don't know what VinoVest is up to. But I went to check mine and they had opted me over. And so I emailed customer care and I was like, hey, I would like to revert back to the old system, even though technically I missed the deadline. But they responded and they said, we will skip, put you back on the old one so that you can buy and hold and hold your case of wine. So anyway, I'm just saying this is like my PSA, my public, public service announcement to the world. If you have VinoVest, like just keep an eye on that. When did they make that switch? Can I still email them? <laughs> yeah, well, I emailed two days ago. Okay. And they said, we're working on it. I logged in today. I think they haven't switched me back yet, but I believe they will. Technically, the deadline was like April 16th. So I had missed it. Uh, last question for everybody. 
which is, can we get an update on your career or finances in your life or just your life? So let's see, career-wise, um, things are, are checking along as I'm kind of growing the investment management um, portion of my business, um, have gotten a couple new um, kind of clients that I'm onboarding um, in the coming weeks. So that's exciting. Um, so that's slowly coming along. Um, and I'm excited to say that uh, the majority of my clients so far are women, um, which I I really love, like just getting more women invested into the market. Um, I feel like there's a lot of just like fear <laughs> around investing in general. And so um, I think, uh, I feel like I'm doing something hopefully positive um, by, by getting uh, more people invested. So um, that's been fun. Uh, on the flip side, I've been dealing with this ACL injury that Ethan had the distinct pleasure <laughs> of seeing the day after it happened. I was uh, going a little hard on the dance floor at my cousin's wedding reception in uh, the beginning of April and tore my ACL, got surgery uh, a couple weeks ago and have been uh, rehabbing. So that's been a bit of a bummer, but I just need to ask for the group. What was the song that you uh, broke your ACL? <laughs> the wobble. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little too perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it was a little too perfect. Oh no! <laughs> a little appropriate, yeah. Oh, I will say uh, I remember this very distinctly. It was the day before my thirteenth birthday party. I was at soccer practice. I didn't know this, but I basically had tore my meniscus. Um, and it was fine, and I was walking, but then the day of my birthday, I, like, woke up, and my knee was, like, swollen, and my mom was like, do you want me to take to the emergency room? And I was like, no, it's fine. So at my birthday party on the dance floor, I'm just, like, hopping around everywhere. People thought I was, like, dancing. Like, they thought it was a dance that I was doing. <laughs> so I can closely relate to this. That's perfect. I hope they followed along, and it was, like, one of those landing situations where like oh i guess this is the dance <laughs> that we're doing now that's a oh great story that's amazing that's amazing the ebony hop <laughs> well if our, when artistic finance does any live meetups there will be no dancing we're gonna have a no dancing policy <laughs> we can't risk these injuries seconded <laughs> career-wise uh you know i am almost i'm about two two-thirds of a year i'm almost at my one year anniversary of going back to self-employment and um, not only not only self-employment but somehow running three businesses all at once so that's kind of fun um, <laughs> van life wise I am uh, or I guess digital nomad um, I'm a little tired a little jet lagged um, but it's been fun traveling around and, and being in different locations and seeing different people just got back from ProLite and Sound in Germany, which was amazing. Yeah, things are kind of cruising along. I don't have any real exciting updates. I'm just, my like, work situation has not changed, but I'm busy and I like what I do and I, I like my team and everything. So that's good. And and oh my God, an 18 month old, and almost four, four year old, and they're both doing well. We're all thriving. We have um, live in guests right now. We have friends who live with us. So that has been fun. It's like an adventure. They also have two kids and a dog. And um, so it's been a full house, but we've had a lot of fun, and our kids are 
becoming best of friends and stuff. So just living the dream. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. For me, uh, life update. Uh, I totally overbooked myself the last like month and a half. Typical ebb. I'm really trying to break this cycle though, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, but I had the opportunity to work on some pretty fun, awesome projects. Um, did a little bit of stuff for Coachella and <clears throat> also designed a musical. Um, they were happening like on top of each other. So never again um, will I do that. And so now I'm catching up on, uh, on sleep. And I want to point out that live design publishes plots of the week every week this year. You have had two plots of the week and they're both I awesome. Yeah, I have. Thank you. Yeah, no, Ellen and her team were so awesome. Um, yeah, I feel uh, that I'm very fortunate in that in that essence. Amazing. I'm going to try to link those in the show notes because there's they're cool photos attached. Thanks. Amazing. Um, all right. So the only Ethan, update did you I not get your life update or I know I was waiting, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for this. You didn't answer the question yourself. Right, right. Um, well, okay. I feel like if anyone's listened, they know that I had a son. <laughs> But I guess I'll just mention it in case anybody didn't. Yeah, six weeks ago, we had a little baby boy named Theo, Theodore for long. And uh, he's the cutest little thing. And I love him so much. And I can actually hear him crying in the background. So we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to go get a cuddle him. Um, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> congratulations. Congrats. Yes, congrats. He's Theodorable. So Theodorable. But still, nickname can be Roth Ira. Still love that nickname. <laughs> um, okay, and then this week, the newsletter came out. And Nicole's doing a great job with that because she's a mom and she got the newsletter out, which is sort of like this amazing thing. And if anybody listening wants to get that, was it monthly newsletter? Uh, you can sign up at artisticfinance.com slash newsletter. And the last two have had photos of little Theo. So if you'd like to see photos of Theo, sign up for the newsletter because that those are not going to stop anytime soon. <laughs> um, okay, and then I want to mention that we have a book club coming up at the end of this month. So, so far we've reviewed four books. Next month's book is The Dirt Bag's Guide to Life presented by the author themselves. Uh, you can get details at artisticfinance.com slash book club. And I just want to point out that the next one is May 23rd, which is a Tuesday. Normally there on Sunday, it's a Tuesday and it's at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you to our 29 Patreon patrons. And if you would like to join and help out, I'd love your support. And you can do that at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. All right, and then you can connect with everybody here on the episode um, on LinkedIn using their names, and then their Instagram handles will be in the show notes. So everybody here, thank you so much for your time and your energy. That's all that we have for today. We'll see you next quarter. So until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance, where we interview successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the creative community. To access our show notes and resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thank you.